let's talk about this contract because when you are in a hurry and you're just grateful you've got a supervisor and you're like, okay, give me the application paperwork. Oh yeah, I've got the contract too. Thank you. I'll take my copy. I'll put it with my stuff. And you may not take a breath, much less sit down and really think of the implications and the consequences of what's in this contract that you just signed. Hi, I'm Dr. Kate Walker. I'm a marriage and family therapist, practice owner, and professor of counselor education who took a passion for training the next generation of mental health providers and turned it into a multi-six-figure business that designs the courses that teach mental health providers how to be clinical supervisors. Teaching graduate students and seasoned counselors, I learned about the fears, fears about failing, quitting toxic work environments where you're seeing 80 clients a week, fears about starting a private practice, running out of money, getting in trouble by the licensing board, the IRS, you name it. I created the Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses community so mental health providers like you could have a step-by-step guide and learn actionable steps to achieve the security, freedom, and satisfaction of a counseling career you'll love. Look, you had the dream to become a mental health professional. You got the degree, you took the exams, you put in the time, whatever your business is, a private practice, maybe you want to sell courses like I do, you're adding clinical supervision, you want to write a book or get paid to speak, whatever it is, you are too important to your community to lose to getting in trouble, giving up, going broke, and burning out. Are you ready to break through those fears once and for all? I thought so. Let's get to work. Welcome to Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses, where it's all about working smarter, not harder. And here's your host, Dr. Kate Walker. Who once drove 18 hours to and from Michigan to see a band. Happy March, everybody. Today's actually St. Patrick's Day, so by the time this podcast goes live, it will be probably a few days after St. Patrick's Day. But this time of year, I always think about the counseling graduate students who are graduating in a few weeks and thinking about the next steps toward licensure. So in Texas, you have to have a supervisor in order to complete your application to submit to the board so that you get your associate license. So for you non-Texans out there, that's a provisional license. Some states, it's probably called an internship license or even a temporary license. But in Texas, it's an LPC associate license or an LMFT associate license. So grad students have to have their supervisor's signature on their application paperwork to make sure they can get that license, that LPC or LMFT associate license in their hand, because without that, you can't practice. You can't start your 3,000 hours. Grad students probably should have been interviewing supervisors, I don't know, starting maybe a year ago, but don't worry if you haven't started interviewing supervisors. Of course, there is still time. In the last episode, I talked about things to look out for, and I talked about interview questions and fighting assumptions like every supervisor is trained the same way. Every supervisor knows all the rules. You know, 
They don't. That's part of what I do. I create the course that trains supervisors. And I know a lot of good supervisors out there who started off not knowing all of the rules, or they started off not understanding how to evaluate someone. And so when you go visit your very, very first supervisor, it's important to understand all of these things. Well, fast forward to today, because what I'm talking about today is the contract. Now, let me be very clear. This is not part of your application paperwork. This is a separate document, almost like an MOU or a memorandum of understanding between you and your supervisor that explains the details of your meetings, how records are going to be stored, all of that. And you're going to learn all of that by the end of this podcast today, because I'm going to talk about what's in the contract, what shouldn't be in the contract, good things, bad things, all the rest. So let's get to work. If the supervision contract is not part of the application, then why do you need one? Well, a lot of state rules, licensing rules, specify that you have to have an agreement in place. I know with the 40-hour training, part of what we teach is how to create a contract and folks who graduate our program actually leave with a, a working contract that they can use right away. But to really define what a contract is, I'm going to go to the American Counseling Association. So this is for all you non-Texans out there, right? Because it's important to know the national standards as well as the specific licensing laws for your state. So ACES, or the Association for Counselor Education and Supervision, is a division of the American Counseling Association. And 2011, they created a task force, and that task force had the amazing Dr. Glossoff from Texas State University on that panel, and they created something called ACES Best Practices for Supervision. And I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes so you can download that. And in the very first number one spot, Initiating Supervision, a1. The supervisor verbally describes and provides the supervisee with a written contract or syllabus that outlines expectations of the supervisor and supervisee, criteria for evaluation, consequences of underperformance, tasks, functions, and goals of supervision, and ethical and legal considerations. This could include confidentiality. This can include due process. All kinds of things can go in here. So I'm starting from a space of best practices that aligns with Texas rules and regs regarding the clinical supervision relationship. Now, unfortunately, or I don't know, for better or for worse, a lot of times grad students hear about the contract when they have already decided to hire or get into a relationship with a particular clinical supervisor. And let's face it, when you need their signature to create your packet or to complete your packet, 
to apply for licensure, you might be in a state of mind where you're like, I don't care. As long as you have a pulse and a pen, you sign my paperwork and we'll work the details out later. And so there are times when I think a lot of clinical supervisors will just say, oh, and by the way, here's the contract. They may go through it a little bit, or they may take the entire hour and go over it with the potential supervisee. Everybody signs it and away we go. But there is so much important information in that contract. And I know as a professor, talking about the contract and what should and shouldn't be in it isn't necessarily something I teach. It's really, I guess I leave it up to the supervisors to teach that. And I know now that's probably not the best way. That's one of the reasons that I'm offering the webinar on April 5th with Dr. Tara Fox from Midwestern State University. I'm going to hold a webinar where she's going to give us the latest information about things like the contract and the application and best practices and how to successfully graduate and get that license in your hand with an amazing supervisor so you can start accruing hours, grad students. But I digress. Let's talk about this contract because when you are in a hurry and you're just grateful you've got a supervisor and you're like, okay, give me the application paperwork. Oh yeah, I've got the contract too. Thank you. I'll take my copy. I'll put it with my stuff. And you may not take a breath, much less sit down and really think of the implications and the consequences of what's in this contract that you just signed. Now, I don't know the rules in your state, but you know, when you sign your name to something, there, there are implications there, right? And with the contract with the clinical supervisor and the supervisee, I mean, it's not like everybody's drawing blood or chipping with their chisel into granite. These things can be altered and changed. It's not one and done and no, you know, nobody can fire anybody. Of course you can, right? Everybody has the liberty to part ways. But that's hard, too. I mean, with LPC Associates and LMFT Associates in Texas, they must stop practicing if they lose their supervisor. So if for some reason a rupture happens and a supervisor and supervisee go their separate ways, let's say that supervisee is working at a hospital or an agency, they must stop seeing clients until they have a new supervisor of record. That when I say that, that means filed with the state, acknowledged by the state, that supervisor appears in an online search verification. So it gets complicated. So starting on the right foot from the very, very beginning with a contract that is clear and understandable may make or break your decision to actually sign the paperwork with that supervisor. I know you want to turn in that application. I know you want to get it done quickly. But if that contract is not what you need it to be, isn't it worth it to keep interviewing? And yes, I have interview questions, and that is going to be in the show notes as well, right? I'll give you the guide so that you can download those interview questions. A couple of years ago in Texas, we had some issues, and there was an organization that was made up of LPC Associates, and they made their voices heard. They went to the LPC board, and all of their comments are entered into public record. And it was really important that they did this because there were problems, and a lot of it had to do with the state not funding what we needed in order to process applications to really take care of the license holders. And we have made such strides here in Texas. I am so proud to be a licensed professional counselor. 
and a licensed marriage and family therapist in Texas. We have the Behavioral Health Executive Council. We have amazing staff and volunteer board members. And I think we do a tremendous job of protecting the public and taking care of license holders. I know when I read the notes from those meetings, though, that was part of what I considered when I was doing an update on the 40-hour training to teach supervisors. I wanted to make sure that I was training supervisors to not make these mistakes because some of the things these LPC associates were talking about had nothing to do with procedures at the board level. They had to do with their supervisors. So I came up with a list along with some colleagues of things that should not be in the contract, or at least a grad student, these are things that you need to look for. If they're blatantly missing, then you need to be able to ask the question. So first of all, you want to look at how supervision will happen. Look for a section on, will you be meeting individually? And individual actually includes triadic. Triadic is when there are two of you and one supervisor. That counts as individual supervision. Group supervision is more than two supervisees in a supervision session. So when you're looking at the contract, you want to notice how supervision is going to happen. Is it all individual? Can it be triadic? Can it alternate individual triadic with group? So one week you're meeting individually or triadic, the next week you're meeting as group and back and forth, or maybe you have one group once a month and then the rest of the time it's individual or triadic. What you want to look out for is a supervisor that only meets with you in a group setting. Neither of the licensing boards approves supervision that only happens in a group setting. This goes against the rules. Supervisors can't do that. Unfortunately, you're going to have consequences as well, right? Because if you try to turn in hours at the end of your 3,000 hours and they are all group, that's going to kick back to you. Now, whether or not your supervisor gets in trouble, I mean, I don't know. But keep in mind, something else to look out for is how many supervisees does your supervisor have? Now, I know some supervisors out there who do an amazing job and have several supervisees. So this is not something that's across the board bad. But when you're looking and you're saying, okay, this person only wants to meet with me in a group setting, and then you dig a little deeper and what you find out is they really have too many supervisees and they can't fit them all into their schedule on that rotating basis that meets the criteria and the rules for both boards. So two things there, right? Meeting all group, not good. Having too many supervisees, sometimes not good. But those two things usually go together. Look for a section in your contract on evaluations. If that's missing, ask about it. Not only do you want to know how you're doing, but let's say you have a problem with your supervisor eventually. I don't know, let's say six months in, 12 months in, and they look at you and they say, you know what, I'm giving you a remediation plan. And you're like, well, what the heck? What am I doing wrong? All of my evaluations, or let's say they've never given you an evaluation and you thought silence was good (laughs) and you just thought everything was kind of cooking along just fine. You need that documentation. You don't want your only evaluation to be you begging your supervisor for their signature when you're trying to upload all of your direct hours and get your full licensure and your supervisor's going, no, I don't think you're ready. What? 
right? That evaluation will protect you. It actually protects your supervisor too. So look for a section in the contract that speaks to evaluation, or if it's missing, that's a problem. Okay, I know this next one is going to seem obvious. I don't know, but sometimes supervisors don't know the difference between the ACA Code of Ethics and LPC and LMFT licensing rules. Now, don't get me wrong. The rules coincide and overlap with ACA all the time in so many places. But when a complaint is filed, it's filed because you broke a rule not necessarily because you broke an ACA code of ethics. So that might be just a question you want to slip in there. Hey, are you up to date on the most recent LPC rules, on the most recent LMFT rules? Are we going to go over these rules in our supervision sessions? Are you going to let me know when changes happen? If supervising is part of your potential supervisor's job, you want to make sure that confidentiality is in the contract. Look at that contract and make sure there's something there that protects your supervision sessions, that they're not going to take your performance in supervision to your administrative supervisor or your boss or maybe into a staffing or something without your permission. Just have a conversation about that. We call that triangulation. We want to make sure that the contract says specifically, these supervision sessions are confidential. And sometimes, you know, if it's a small agency or a small practice, your supervisor may have multiple roles. And that's okay. You just want to make sure in the contract that it talks about the different roles and how to make sure they're kept the clinical part is kept separate from the business part or the administrative part. Okay, your supervisor's availability is probably the most important part of your supervision experience. I mean, not that the other stuff isn't important. You have to know that your supervisor has time for you and not just for your weekly or four hours a month supervision. I'm talking about in case of emergencies, when do they want you to contact him if someone outcries and you need to report to CPS? What happens if someone in your session has a cardiac arrest or something? I don't know. Availability is so important. If you have to miss supervision and you give plenty of notice and it's a-okay, what if you can't get back on their schedule? Or if it throws everything off and then you're looking at, oh gosh, I missed my individual. Now I have to have all group and that's going to mess up my 50%. You need to make sure that you have a way, that's part of the supervisor's procedures. You have a way to schedule and reschedule with your supervisor and make sure they have a procedure listed for how to contact them in case of emergencies or some kind of a critical incident. Okay, now I promised that I would say what should not be in the contract, and I think I'm talking more about things that you need to ask about. So here's one thing that should not be in your clinical contract. All right, you ready? Hey, badasses, we can all agree that counselors want a path to a successful counseling career, but that means you have to find quality training. That's not even the real barrier. The real problem is a lot of information can be overwhelming and you, my badass, are busy. So you're probably asking yourself, how can I improve my practice while still caring for people? 
How do I grow my skill set, become a supervisor, without losing my work-life balance? How do I find quality training that won't cost too much time and money? Bottom line, counselors who want a successful counseling career value the goal of growing their skill set and even becoming a supervisor, but at the same time struggle with finding time to attend quality courses. Counselors can't overcome this barrier because so many times courses with tempting titles overpromise and underperform. Let me ask you something. What if there were courses that delivered exactly what they promised, that didn't take a lot of time, and didn't break the bank? That's exactly the kind of course we design at Kate Walker Training. I specialize in helping you grow your skill set and career with quality courses on demand. And we have so many to choose from. If you're asking yourself, where do I go if I want to sustain my practice and grow my marketing presence? Well, check out the Step It Up membership. What do you do if you're ready to pay it forward and add streams of income? Well, check out the supervisor training. See if you're eligible. If you're looking for an experience that's more hands-on, Keep an eye out for open enrollment for Badass Basics and our exclusive mastermind groups. Anything that has to do with employment, your supervisor who's employing you needs to come up with some other document. And I think of it as, or I commonly refer to it as it's a policy and procedures document, or maybe it's called the practices onboarding document or something like that. But anything related to your pay or days off or your split or anything like that, anything that has to do with your employment does not belong in the clinical contract, right? That clinical contract between you and your clinical supervisor is for supervision. If your supervisor has kind of mushed it all together, I mean, that's not a deal breaker. Maybe they just didn't know, but just be aware that, that might be something to ask. Do they have a separate policy and procedures? Do they have something? Will they even allow you to be employed outside of their practice? Another thing you want to make sure is not in your clinical contract. It has to do with employment again. So the IRS has specific rules for 1099 contractors and W-2 employees. When a supervisor hires their own supervisee, first of all, yay, that's wonderful that they're giving you an opportunity to work for them, but pay attention if you notice that they're hiring you as a 1099 contractor. Visit with a professional and just make sure that you meet the criteria because since you work for your supervisor, they have a lot of control over your work and that may not meet the criteria for the 1099 contractor. So look to see if it's going to be a W-2 situation. Again, I want all of this stuff out of the clinical contract, but it is a good question to ask if you're fortunate enough to have a supervisor who's willing to hire you. Finally, what should not be in the clinical contract is something to the effect of, if I don't think you've done a good job, I will not sign off on your hours. Graduate students, if you attended supervision that day, they must sign off on your hours. That's the deal. That's what the rules say. If you attend supervision, then those hours count. 
they can't hold their signature hostage because you're not doing something right. And you may not be. You may need some work. You may have done something that you need to fix. But that's what we have a remediation plan for. The rules also say that if you have messed up or you're just not getting a concept or you're not following your supervisor's directives, they must remediate you. And so if they tell you, or it says in the contract, if I don't think you're doing a good job, I will not sign off on your hours. That's a big red flag. That's almost like the whole schedule thing. You need to make sure that your supervisor understands this process of remediation. It's really wonderful, right? Remediation isn't like a consequence or a punishment. It's simply your supervisor giving you the opportunity to learn more about a particular concept before they turn you loose into the wild as a fully licensed professional. So the supervision contract, while it is not a part of your application, it is such an important document. And it's not something you should just scribble and give into just because you really, really want that supervisor's signature to complete your application. Take the time, read the document, ask the questions, look for things that are missing. I mean, maybe they are a wonderful supervisor. They just haven't updated their contract in a while and they may really appreciate the information from you. They may be happy to update those things. So don't look at it in an antagonistic way. Look at it as the first step in this amazing relationship you're going to have with your supervisor and mentor and future colleague. All right, badasses, go do great work. Dr. Kate Walker, thank you so much for listening to Texas Counselors Creating Badass Businesses. Thank you to Ridgely Walker for her lovely voiceovers at our introduction. And do me a favor, when you get a second, please like, share, and subscribe, and write us a review. That's really how we get picked up by other RSS feeds, and we get this information out to the mental health badasses who need it. Thanks again, and keep saving the world with excellent therapy.